0: Hello and welcome to the podcast at Chespero Baptist Church, continuing right along in our series entitled Encouraged in the Lord. Today we're going to see David as he's struggling against his son Absalom. The title of the message this morning is Abandoned by Family. Please enjoy. Psalm 3. We've only got just a couple of weeks left in our series going through the book of Psalms and the life of David titled Encouraged in the Lord. So we've only got about two weeks left and uh, next week will be our last message in this series. And if you have your places in Psalm chapter 3, I'm going to ask you one last time to please stand in respect and reverence to the Word of God as we read these eight verses. We're going to start at the superscript in Psalm 3 a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? How many are they that rise up against me? Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hills, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I wait, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone that was broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. The title of the message this morning is Abandoned by Family. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you just bless our message today. Lord, I pray that you'd bless us as a people. Let us open our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear the word of God this morning. May it bathe our lives and may it wash over us and may we leave changed people. Thank you for everything you've done for us in Jesus name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. When I was a kid, one thing I hated to do is I hated to go to sleep. I hated to go to bed mainly because I always thought that I was going to miss something. That something was going to happen while I was asleep and I'd miss it. This was especially true <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> This is especially true um, when we had company over at the house. We had company over at the house. The last thing I wanted to do was go to sleep. So when I was a kid, I hated to go to sleep. Funny thing, though, as I got older, my appreciation for sleep grew. And I got to the point where I absolutely love sleep now. I love sleep to the point You you know when you go on a trip or you go on vacation? Probably the best part about the vacation and the best part about the trip is when you get home and you get to sleep in your own bed. You get to get in your own mattress, your own cover, your own pillow, and your own AC and just drift off into Never Never Land. There's nothing quite like it. Maybe because your own bed's well-seasoned. Okay, maybe it's something like that. Hey, you know, even if you stayed in a hotel with a more comfortable bed than your own, there's still nothing like going to sleep in your own bed. There's nothing else quite like it. And that's probably why something that interferes with your sleep can be frustrating. It can be frustrating when something interferes with your sleep. I mean, whether it's a physical ailment that interferes with your sleep, or a dog, a dog barking, or maybe even simple insomnia—anything that interferes with your sleep can be frustrating. But you know what could be what can be especially frustrating when worry interferes with your sleep. Worry can interfere with your sleep. And the thing about it is, is worry, it not only interferes with your sleep, but you wake up and you take it with you throughout the day. And as that worry hangs on to you throughout the day, worry can wear you out. Worry can wear you down. Worry can make you exhausted. Worry can just physically and emotionally just exhaust you. And, you know, um, worry can make you feel exhausted, especially when you're worrying on behalf of somebody else. Because in that situation, you have no control. That's why it's especially frustrating. Because when you're worrying on behalf of somebody else, you have absolutely no control. We see a couple of men in the Bible who were able to sleep through some pretty rough times. Let's look at Jesus in Mark chapter 4. Jesus is there in Mark 4 and uh, he's, he's, he's sleeping in the belly of the boat. And while he's sleeping, there's a storm going on on the outside and the disciples are afraid for their lives. Now, in that situation, Jesus can control the storm, but he didn't intend to. He didn't intend to do that. The only reason why he woke up and, and, and stopped the storm was because his disciples went down there and woke him up. Jesus was content to sleep through the storm. He was just going to saw logs. He didn't care about the storm. He was just going to sleep through it. He didn't care. He, the only reason why he did anything is because the disciples woke him up. And then we come to Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, Peter is in a precarious situation. In Acts chapter 12, the Bible says that Peter was in prison. He was in chains. And he was lying beside two soldiers. They had this dude in maximum security lockdown. He was in maximum security lockdown. If me and you were in that, we'd be worried to death. But what is Peter doing in Acts chapter 12? He's sawing logs. He's counting sheep. He's sleeping like a baby. He's dead to the world because he doesn't care. He is asleep. How? How could you sleep through something like that? How could you have peace in a situation like that where it doesn't bother you? Let's take a look at Psalms 3 this morning. Psalms 3 paints a very grim picture. It paints a grim picture because to David the enemy must have seemed invincible. To David, the enemy must have seemed innumerable. Listen to the words he used to describe the enemy. Increased. Many. Many. Ten thousands of people. round about. The word many used here, David is, David is showing us that his enemies were multiplying. His enemies were multiplying around him. And every time David turned around, he saw a new enemy the preacher of yesteryear, Mr. Charles Spurgeon, he put it like this. Trouble always comes in flocks. Sorrow hath a numerous family. David was in a very dangerous situation. David was in a very dangerous situation. It was getting worse and worse by the moment and David knew his life was hanging in the balance. David was about to get a hard lesson about what's, Really going on. You know, you ever go into a situation and something doesn't add up, something doesn't calculate, and you pull someone aside that you trust and you say, what's really going on? <laughs> David was about to learn what was really going on. You see, politicians have a tendency. Politicians have a tendency to surround themselves with yes men. Politicians have a tendency to surround themselves with men who will tell them what they want to hear. And that's all their job. And very rarely do you have an advisor who will stand up to a politician, stand up to his boss and tell him how it really is. Look, here's what's really going on. Here's the true story. And far and fewer between are the, are the politicians who will actually listen to the people who were telling them the truth. Listen to the people who were telling them what was really going on. Thankfully, David had a man under his authority. David had a man under his, uh, under, uh, under his kingdom who was able to tell David how it really was. Tell him what was really going on. 2 Samuel 15 verses 11 through 13 says, and with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the, gu- the the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, even from from Gillow, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong for the people increased continually with Absalom. And there came a messenger. He's not even named. He's just called a messenger. And there came a messenger to David saying the hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. Man, this must have come like a shock to David. This must have come. Like, this must have shaken David to the core. He doesn't want to be in a war. He doesn't want a war, but David finds himself in a war nonetheless. There are nine. There are no less than nine military terms in these eight verses. David was at war. Situation on the ground was deteriorating and it was, it was only getting worse and the enemies were gaining strength and they were closing in on him roundabout. And when David said the words in the psalm, when he said, they troubled me, this isn't the normal words that you would use to describe an enemy. David is describing these enemies like these enemies are cutting off his paths of escape. You know what David felt like? David felt like the victim of a boa constrictor that boa constrictor was wrapped its coils around David and every time they would take a breath that boa constrictor would squeeze and squeeze and squeeze and it was getting tighter and tighter and tighter and that's what it felt like for David I want you to know this morning that this confrontation here that David is going through is far worse than any other confrontation he's ever been in before up to this point. It's the worst one. Well, let's look at what David is. David has faced in the past. David has faced the Philistines and the Moabites and the Syrians. David has faced the Ammonites and the Amalekites and the Edomites. But this is different. In those situations, he knew God would preserve him whithersoever that he would go. But this is different. The superscript of this, of this psalm says, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And there it is. That's what's different. That's why this is different than the Philistines. This is, this is why this is different than the Amalekites. This was his own son Absalom was the third son of David's third was David's third son and he was a child of his fourth wife her name was was uh, Maka of of Gishir, and she was a princess of Gesher and that was a small Armenian kingdom northeast of the Sea of Galilee and, and no doubt David's marriage to her was a was a part of a political pact and We find that David, by this time in his life, he had eight wives. He had eight wives, and he had seven sons by the time we reach chapter 13 of 2 Samuel. And let me tell you something. This was a recipe for jealousy and a recipe for conflict. You see, David, David was supposed to be different. David wasn't supposed to be like the kings of all the other countries in the ancient Middle East. But David wanted to be like them. To the point where these other ancient kings of the Middle East, they, they gauged their power on how many wives they had, how beautiful they were, how many sons they had, how much land they had. And that would ha- that's how they would gauge their power. But I want you to know this was against the express command of God. Deuteronomy says in Deuteronomy 17 17, neither shall he multiply wives to himself that his heart may turn not away. So here we have Absalom and uh, we have Amnon, which kicked this whole thing off is, is Amnon raped Tamar. And once Amnon raped Tamar, Absalom was furious. Absalom was not only furious at Amnon, but Absalom was furious at David because David didn't do anything about it. Amnon barely got a slap on the wrist, and Absalom wasn't having that. So what did Absalom do? He concocted a little conspiracy, and Absalom killed Amnon. As soon as Absalom killed Amnon, he fled to Gishur, where his mom was from, no doubt. He had relatives there, and he stayed there for three years. He fled to Gishur, and while he was in Geshur, David, David yearned for his son. David yearned after his son Absalom. So after three years, David sent Joab to go get Absalom and said, You tell him to come back. I've forgiven him. Joab went and got Absalom and brought Absalom back, and, and David forgave Absalom. David forgave Absalom for betraying him. David even restored Absalom's place in the kingdom. But Let me tell you something, that wasn't enough for old Absalom. Absalom was still bitter. Absalom was still angry. And Absalom was still mad at David. So what did Absalom do? I want you to know this morning that Absalom was a cunning and crafty person with his long locks of beautiful hair. Hold Absalom would stand at the gate and he would talk to Israelites as they came in and out of the gate until he had talked to everybody and slowly but surely Absalom was stealing the hearts of the people Absalom was stealing the hearts of the people and so we get to this point in the story and Absalom has made the choice to rise up against David and this had to be painful for David this had to be a painful situation. Yet as painful as that insurrection was against David, the cruelest truth is probably in verse 2 of, chapter of Psalms 3. Let's read verse 2. It says, Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. David's situation was so bad that man thought it was beyond God's help. Now I want you to see this. More than likely, these men didn't believe that God couldn't help David. They thought that God wouldn't help David. They thought, you remember that sin that David did? You remember what he did in the past? David's getting what he deserves. David's getting what goes around, comes around, King David. You are getting what's coming to you. He's getting what he deserves. There is no help for him in God. I want you to see that the taunts of Absalom and his forces weren't just against David. The taunts of Absalom and his forces was against God, too. Throughout the psalm, you'll see that David calls God Lord. And that word Lord in the psalm is translated as Jehovah. David is calling God Jehovah. When David calls God Jehovah, what he's doing... Is he saying, okay, you are my personal God. You are my God. You belong to me. You're my personal God. You're my personal Savior. You're my God. That's what David is saying. When Absalom in this psalm talks about God, he uses the plural form of the word Elohim. Elohim is. Uh, just an ordinary generic term for God in this case. It can be used to talk about the God of the Bible, but it can also be caused to talk about Chemosh. It can be used to talk about Baal. It could be used to talk about any pagan deity. They were all the same to Absalom. This rebel, to him, he was his own God. Brother James, could you walk back there and shut that door for me, please? David's son was not only a rebel, I want you to know that David's son was also lost. He didn't have a personal savior. David's, uh, David's son was lost and it's the reason why in 2 Samuel 18.33 he said, Oh my son Absalom, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, oh Absalom my son, my son. There are not many things more heartbreaking in this world than knowing that your own child has rejected God for the last time. There is probably nothing more heartbreaking than that. Perhaps you've experienced the pain of David. You may have privately called out today, or to cried out like David, My son, my son, would God I had died for thee, my son, my son. Maybe it's not a child. Maybe you've got a parent. Maybe you've got a brother. Maybe you've got a sister. Maybe you've got some other family member that has rejected God. So David, here we are. I need you to help us out again, man. What do you do when you're out of options? Um, how do you respond when your hope is gone? What can you do when your own son is breaking your heart? And Basically, the question is this. How do we encourage ourselves in the Lord when our own family has risen up against us? How do we encourage ourselves in the Lord? It's the reason why Psalms 3 is in the Bible. I want you to notice what the sweet psalmist says in verse number 5. It is the center of this message this morning. What he says in verse number five, he says, I laid me down and slept. I laid me down and slept, which brings me to point number one this morning. Peace in the past. Peace in the past. You know, considering what David is going through, it's amazing that he has this type of reaction I'm sure there are many people that are going through this exact same thing and they're begging God for the sleepless nights to end. I want you to notice that the doctors, they didn't prescribe David Ambien. The doctors didn't prescribe David Xanax. The doctors didn't uh, give him orders to stay in bed because he needs his sleep for his health. No, David simply lay down and slept. He went right off on to sleep. You know, we take sleep for granted in the fact, you know, that, that God sustains us in our sleep. When you're asleep, you're unconscious. You're dead to the world. You don't know what's going on. Yet, you still breathe. Your heart still pumps. Your organs still, still operate. And if God can sustain me and you while we sleep, he can sustain us through our difficulties. You see, years of walking with God is starting to pay off for David. His past battles with bears and lions and giants have, have taught him that God was strong enough for this test. The countless hours that David spent singing and the constant hours that David spent uh, with the Word of God, and now, now he, was go, he was about to, the, God would carry him through his darkest hour. His relationship with God wasn't just religion to him, it was real. In the darkest hour of his life, David knew what God had done in the past. Psalms 3, it almost reads like a newspaper account after the fact. It it didn't matter how dark the night. It didn't matter how foreboding the circumstances. None of that mattered. David had no doubts about his God. Look with me at verse number 3. But thou, O Lord a shield for me my glory and the lifter up of mine head a soldier in David's day had access to many different types of shields but this particular kind of shield that David's talking about it would protect David entirely above beneath around within and without the enemy was round about him Guess what? So is the shield. It says the Lord was for his glory. A king is accustomed to praise. A a king is accustomed to adoration. A king is accustomed to adulation. And a king, that's what a king is accustomed to. For now, for David to run around and hide in caves, it must have been like eating a piece of humble pie for David. But of course, we know he's no stranger to a cave. David, what David knew, human glory was fleeting. The only glory and honor that mattered was a glory that came from above. As David was leaving Jerusalem, <clears throat> being pushed out by his son, <coughs> he could turn back and point at that city and say, My glory's not in that city. My glory's not in that palace. My glory's not in some crown. My glory is in God. My honor is in God. And that is all that I need. One of the most important lessons that David learned through all this is, as the verse says, that uh, he made God the lifter up of mine head. He made God the lifter up of mine head. When somebody lifts up their own head, that's an expression of haughtiness. That's an expression of arrogance. You know, men find glory in all sorts of things. We find glory in fame, power, prestige, possessions. David found his glory in the Lord. See, David knew what Daniel knew in Daniel 2.21. When Daniel said that the Lord removeth kings and setteth up kings. That's God's job. Asaph said it like this in Psalms 75, 6 and 7, For promotion cometh neither from the east nor the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. God, has, God was the one who gave him his kingdom in the past. God was the one who took away his kingdom in the present. Not Absalom, God. God. God was the one who took his kingdom away in the present, and God would be the one to give him his kingdom back in the future. Which brings me to my next point, faith in the future. David genuinely believed that Absalom was no match for God. He believed that. He believed that that he was no match for God. This was an incredibly complex and this was an incredibly perplexing situation that, that David was in. There were a lot of moving parts and it was very complicated. But David came up with a simple solution. And here it is in Psalms 3. I cried, he heard, I laid me down and slept. Oh God, if me and you can have that kind of confidence in our Savior... If me and you can have that kind of confidence that with all this pressure and all these burdens going on all we have to do is give it to God and we can sleep like a baby if we had that kind of confidence. If only we had that kind of confidence in God. David could sleep because he knew that he knew that God heard his cry from the holy hill. You see, the Holy Hill was back in Jerusalem. And old Absalom, old pretty boy Absalom, he thought that he was in control of the Holy Hill. But man, boy, was he mistaken. He was mistaken. God still ruled. The Holy Hill was the Temple Mount. And the Holy Hill was where David was coronated as king. And David knew where God was. And more importantly than that, David knew that God knew where he was. So he went to sleep. He went to sleep trusting God. And when he woke up the next day, he was living in a day where he knew God could sustain him. That was the day that he was living in. If God could get him through the night, then God could get him through the next day. I want you to see that there are lessons here for us. There are lessons here to, if we will encourage ourselves in the Lord, uh, we must be able to learn what God has taught us in the past. We must be able to pull on that. Past victories are building blocks for your Christian life. Every time God gives you a victory, he gives you another piece of the puzzle. He gives you another piece of the set. He gives you another Lego that you can add to your little castle. Okay, every victory is a building block in your Christian life. David was a master at this. David was a master at taking past victories and past experiences and helping them and and using them as fuel to get through something in the present. Uh, Just like the time when he battled Goliath. What did he say to King Saul when he was about to battle Goliath? He said in 1 Samuel 17, 37, David said moreover that the Lord delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear and he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistines. So there David is at it again using past victories and past experience with God to help him push through a tough time. And so there was no doubt that God had proven himself in the past and David knew that he would do it again. And here in Psalms chapter 3, it's no different. David is pulling on his past victories and his past experience to get through probably the hardest thing that he's ever faced in his life. Verse 7, he says, For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone, for thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. David looks at victory like it's certain. David looks at victory like it's already accomplished. He sees the enemy as a wild beast whose jaw is broken. If there's a lion in here and his jaw is broken to where his teeth are hanging down and he can't bite me, I'm not going to be too afraid of him. I mean, I'm not going to go up and hug the thing, but I'm not going to be too afraid if his jaw is broken and I know that that lion can't bite me. He can't devour his prey. What he's saying is, is he's saying, I know that God will take care of me here because God has taken care of me in the past. I have seen him defeat my enemies so many times that I have no doubt that God will carry me through this because he has defeated enemies over and over and over again. When the Bible says smiting an enemy on a cheekbone, what that is that shows public humiliation. David wanted his enemies publicly humiliated. That's what he wanted. And and that he wanted it uh, a mouthful of broken teeth meant that Absalom would no longer be able to say what he said in 2 Samuel 15, for, oh, that I were made judge in the land that every man which hath any suit or case might come unto me, and I would do him justice. God knows how to shame an enemy. God knows how to silence an enemy. When it says broken teeth of the ungodly, that metaphor has been used in the Psalms before. Psalms 58.6, break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break uh, out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. It speaks of total domination and defeat of the enemy. David looked for protection in this psalm, but it wasn't just protection he wanted. He wanted to be victorious. David didn't just want to survive this. David wanted to thrive. David wanted to come out on top. David didn't want to just survive. He wanted to be victorious. Whether it was one Goliath or 10,000 enemies, David knew what was going to happen. David knew God's track record. Now, I mentioned God's track record a couple weeks ago, and that's the crux of the message I'm preaching to you today is God's track record. You know what God's track record taught David? Look at verse 8. God's track record taught David, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Because David knew this, he was able to say what he said in verse 7. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. When the Israelites were in the wilderness being led of the cloud, and any time the Israelites broke camp to travel, Moses always said the same thing. And he said this in in Numbers 10.35. And it came to pass when the ark was set forward that Moses said, here it is, Rise up, Lord, let thine enemies be scattered, let them that hate thee flee before thee. This phrase that Moses said, this became a battle cry of of Israel in the Old Testament. And any time that the Israelites were going to war, they wanted the Lord to go before them. They want to go before us, defeat the enemy, give us the victory. Thirteen times there were occasions in the Old Testament where Israel cried up to God to deliver them. And from a human standpoint, this is a a, a great picture. I mean, if you could just imagine God filling the sky, and if you could just imagine God rising up as a champion among his people, and the the, the Absalom's of the world looking up and seeing our mighty defender fill the sky, how horrible it must be for our enemies to see that. Verse number 8. This is something interesting. It says, salvation Belongeth unto the Lord. David understood salvation not only in the ultimate sense but also in the immediate sense. That means salvation in any form. Salvation doesn't belong just to a person or a nation or sect or a people. I want you to tell you this morning that salvation in any form is property of God. God owns salvation in any form. And if one person wants any type of salvation, and when I say that, I'm I'm not talking about different ways of being saved, I'm talking about salvation is in like eternal salvation, and salvation is help me out of this situation. Anytime you want any type of salvation, you must deal with God. God is the one you have to deal with because He's the one that owns that. Verse eight, continuing, Thy blessing is upon thy people. Silla. I want you to see that in this personal, this personal calamity, David just wasn't concerned with himself, but he was concerned with God's people, and he did something here very interesting. He he took his prayer and he turned it into God's will. You see, God, uh, David knew that the defeat of Absalom wasn't just good for him. The defeat of Absalom was good for the people of Israel. So that's how he prayed. He didn't say, Lord, defeat Absalom for me. He said, Lord, defeat Absalom for your people. He took his prayer request and he made it benefit the will of God. Okay. And. If we pray for personal need, we need to find a way to do that. Find a way to pray in our prayer that where our, our answer to our prayer benefits the will of God. We will get a lot more prayers answered that way. David was a master at this as well. David's words in this psalm could have echoed another politician born 28 centuries later. The early 1900s, the appointed governor of Bombay, India, was a man named Robert Grant, Sir Robert Grant. Sir Robert Grant was a Christian. Sir Robert Grant worked some words down. He wrote a poem down that was later turned into a hymn. And that hymn is actually on page 10 in your hymnal. And the words of that hymn go like this. O worship the King all glories above. O gratefully sing His power and His love. Our shield and defender the Ancient of Days pavilioned in splendor, in splendor and girded with praise. Oh, tell of his might and sing of his grace, whose robe is the light, whose canopy space. His chariots of wrath, the deep thunderclouds form, and dark is his path on the wings of the storm. Frail child of dust and feeble as frail, in you do we trust, nor to find you to fail. Your mercies, how tender, how firm to an end, our maker Defender, Redeemer, and Friend. But what did David do? He laid him down and slept. Well, of course he did. Of course he did. You know what? If we took these lessons, if we took these past victories, if we took, if we could get a hold of these lessons of faith, and we could let that get a hold of our lives and get a hold of our heart, guess what? Me and you can sleep peacefully, too. There was a mother, and she was putting her four-year-old daughter to bed. Her four-year-old daughter was very afraid of the dark. And to be honest, the mother who was alone with the child in the house that night, she was a little bit fearful, too. So she agreed to sleep in the bed with her daughter. They lay down in the bed, and as they turned the lights off, the daughter looked out the window, and out the window, she saw the moon. She looked over to her mother, and she asked her mother, Mom, is the moon God's light? And the mom said, Yes, yes, honey. The moon is God's light. And the next question the daughter asked, is, she said, Will God put out his light and go to sleep? The mother said, No, no, child, God never sleeps. And in the simplicity of the faith of a child, she said, well, as long as God is awake, there's no sense in both of us staying awake. She went to sleep. Let me tell you something. I know you're going through, you may be going through a rough time right now. You may be going through a bad situation. Maybe you have an issue with a family member. Maybe you've got some worry you're carrying around. Maybe it does Maybe it does keep you up at night. Or maybe it just, if it doesn't keep you up at night, it just exhausts you throughout the day carrying this around. Let me tell you something. Remember God's track record. Remember all the times in the past he has come through for you. Remember all the enemies in the past he has defeated for you. Use those victories Keep a record of every answered prayer. Those are building blocks for faith in your Christian life. Use those to get through. And once you, once you say in your head, Man, I know that God, I remember He has helped me in the past. I have faith He will help me today. I guarantee you'll sleep like a baby. Because trusting the track record of God, that's how we encourage ourselves in the Lord. Hello and welcome to the podcast at Chespero Baptist Church, continuing right along in our series entitled Encouraged in the Lord. Today we're going to see David as he's struggling against his son Absalom. The title of the message this morning is Abandoned by Family. Please enjoy.